Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. O Lord, save the King. Answer us when we call. Thank you, Heidi, very much. Well, if you could uh, keep Psalm 20 open in front of you, that would be very helpful. And uh, let me pray for us as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray for clarity and vision this evening. Uh, We pray that we would uh, see the world around us with the eyes of the Lord Jesus. And uh, we pray that that would indeed give us an urgency in prayer, and that would be responsive to the words of this psalm. And we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me begin with a quick question. I wonder, would you, would you pray f- for someone? Would you pray for someone in distress? Would you pray for a Christian brother or sister you knew to be in distress? In other words, would you, would you pray as this psalm seems to suggest we might pray for someone, verse one, would you pray, may the Lord answer you when you are in your distress? Literally, that's in the, in the day of your distress, in the day of distress, or in the day of need or trouble. Would you pray for their protection? In the name of God, would you pray, verse two, for help and support in their distress? And I suspect for most of us uh, listening to that question, most of us calling ourselves Christians this evening, the answer will be yes, of course. Silly question. Now, some of us, I guess, uh, myself included, might need encouragement to pray for others more often in their day of trouble. Uh, But most of us would be quick to say, yes, I would pray for them. So on my mind at the moment are some family friends whose uh, adult child has, has just died. Uh, And I know that they are very much in the day of distress, in the day of trouble. And so we as a family are praying for them. Uh, So would you. Uh, This is a church family I know where there are many people, uh, a majority, a large majority, praying for people in in their day of need or trouble, whatever it may be. Uh, We did it this evening. And I know that uh, many of you will be wanting to pray for Liz as she goes out into what seems to be a potentially quite troubling situation here's a second question would you pray for help and support for yourself in the day of trouble and I suspect again that while some of us might again need some encouragement the answer would generally be yes 
Yes, when a crisis hits, in the time of deep distress, we are ready to pray and to cry out to the Lord for help. But let me ask a third question. Did you pray like that this morning? And uh, while there will doubtless be some here tonight answering yes to that question too, some may also be a little puzzled by it. You might be wondering, should I have? It can't be that every day is the day of trouble, surely? Or some of you might be thinking, what do you mean? Pray like that. I'm on holiday. Others might be saying to themselves, don't you know that it's summertime? Don't you know that everything is slowed down? You know, even the news has slowed down almost to a halt. Don't you know that we had enough news for five years packed into June and July and now it's all run out? There is really nothing much happening in the world, is there? What is there to pray for? Why would I pray like that? Well, what if I were to persuade you tonight that all is not as it seems, that indeed, despite appearances, we are very much in the middle of a war, that many around us are in great need and danger, uh, that as Christians living before the return of the Lord Jesus, every day is the day of tribulation, the day of distress or trouble. And I suspect that if we were persuaded about that, then we would want, then we'll want some encouragement and help on how to pray in the day of trouble. And I think we'll find it in Psalm 20. I think we'll find that this psalm is going to help us to uncover the reality in which we live, the needs and uh, trouble and danger all around us. And I think we'll find that this psalm will not only give us the words to pray in the day of trouble, will also give them, us the motivation to pray them with earnestness, confidence, especially as Christians praying this psalm. And that's because this psalm will point us very, very clearly to the Lord Jesus and his victory on the day of trouble, giving us a firm foundation on which we can pray for help. At least it's my hope and prayer that, that those will find those things tonight. That is, if we ask, what is this psalm for? What's its purpose for us? Its purpose for us today, well, it's a, its purpose is that we might pray for victory and salvation today in the day of trouble, trusting in the name of the Lord Jesus and nothing else. And uh, we're going to look at that in two parts this evening. First, from verses uh, 1 to 5 and also verse 9. Uh, we're going to be encouraged to pray for victory and salvation. And then, verses 6 to 8, we're going to be encouraged to do it trusting in the name of the Lord and nothing else. And as we look at that, we'll have a, a chance to dwell on those wonderful and famous words in verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Uh, so, but that's for later. Before that, let's be encouraged first and foremost to get on our knees and pray. To pray, in fact, for victory and salvation. To pray for it today in the day of trouble. But really, to understand how to do this, we really need to travel back in time 3,000 years to when this psalm was written. 
And uh, we'll see, I think, that when the people of Israel sung this psalm in the first place, they were praying specifically for their king. In the first instance, King David, who wrote it. They were praying quite possibly on the eve of battle, under the threat of military invasion. And once we've seen that, we'll be in a better position, I think, to see how we, with a, with a greater king, that's the Lord Jesus, can use this psalm to pray for one another in the midst of a greater battle. Now, I guess you can see most clearly that this psalm was originally all about praying for the king of Israel. You can see that most clearly in the very final verse, uh, verse 9, which kind of sums up this psalm as a prayer. Verse 9, O Lord, save the king. Answer us when we call, or give victory to the king. That's what they were singing about and praying for. So I wonder if you can see what's happening here. This, it's, it's slightly surprising in some ways. The, the author of the psalm is David. You can see that at the top of the psalm. This is a, a psalm of David. And David, as you know, is the king of God's people. He is the Lord's anointed, mentioned in verse 6. The one marked out by the Lord God himself to lead his people in his name. And what David seems to have done is to have written some prayers for his people so that they can pray for him and pray for him in song. That might seem to us, I guess, a little self-centered. But the seriousness of the situation demanded it. Traditionally, this psalm is taken to be something that people would sing for their king on the eve of battle. And uh, you can see from looking through it, glancing through it, that that makes some sense. Verse 5, it's a situation where the, the king needs to find victory. Verse 7, it's a situation where others might be tempted to rely on, merely on military strength, on the, the military firepower of the day, uh, horses and chariots. So if it is that kind of military situation that we're talking about, then it is indeed in everyone's best interest if the king is protected. If he's helped, if he's saved, if he goes on indeed to lead his people to victory. It's in everyone's best interest if that is the case. David knows this and he wants his people to understand it too. He also knows that he only stands a chance if the Lord is on his side. So he gives them this psalm to pray for him in the name of the Lord. I wonder how you feel about that. The Olympics just started. I have to say I'm already quite enjoying watching some myself. You might, I guess, be more enthusiastic or less enthusiastic than I am. But let's be honest about this, especially as you look at the papers and at the news coming from Rio What is the overriding emotion, the overriding feeling as we send Team GB off to Rio? Well, it's a very simple one, isn't it? We want them to win. We want them to win a lot. We want them to win lots of medals. Most especially, again, more medals than the Australians. That's what we really, really want. Gold medals, preferably. Forget everything else. Forget all this sort of sporting stuff. We just want them to win. We want them to win. At a different time, I guess that same sort of desire would have taken on a more serious edge. 
Back in July, we remembered uh, 100 years since the Battle of the Somme. Uh, It was a reminder of that horror, of that deep anxiety and fear those young men went through on behalf of their their countries. Uh, It was an anguish that at the time would have spread much wider, of course, as their families longed for their loved ones to be protected, to survive. Uh, Even more, perhaps, than they longed for victory in battle. And we can imagine many, many people desiring that, praying for that, maybe praying before when they'd never done so, praying for the first time when they'd never done so before. And I think as we look at this psalm, we can imagine a kind of similar anguish, even further back in history, back when this psalm was written. Israel was a tiny nation, uh, very few material resources, not much in the way of military strength. And uh, they were hemmed in by hostile nations on every side, vicious nations, well-equipped. They were the ones who had the horses and the chariots. What's more, this tiny nation was associated with Yahweh as their God, the Lord. And uh, those nations around them defied the Lord, hated The Lord refused to acknowledge he had any hold over them and so they delighted in squashing his people at every opportunity. It was a pretty kind of dangerous situation to live in, a desperate situation to live in and all Israel's hopes were were pinned on their king at this time. After all, he was Yahweh's choice. He was the Lord's anointed. Uh, So I can really imagine kind of being there amongst the assembly of God's people. And uh, I think I would be joining in very enthusiastically with this psalm. I'd be praying as I sung from the heart. May the Lord answer you, King David, when you are in distress, in your day of trouble, facing the enemies of your people. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Uh, After all, for all his faults, even even. Even Jacob was protected as he trusted the Lord. May he protect you, David. Verse 2, may the Lord send you help, David, and grant you support. Verse 3, may the Lord vindicate your sacrifices and your faithfulness. And then verse 5, how hard we'll rejoice on the day of victory. And that, I guess, is pretty much how this psalm worked 3,000 years ago. Helping God's people pray for victory and salvation in the day of trouble. By praying for David, their king. But how then does that help us pray for victory and salvation today, in the day of trouble? After all, we don't live in Israel, in that very particular dangerous situation. And uh, David, the Lord's anointed, is not our king. Well, that may be so, but we do have a king. We'd call ourselves Christian here tonight. We certainly have a king. We have Jesus Christ, the Lord's anointed, the one to whom David pointed, King David's greatest son. And what's exciting here is that with Jesus as our king, this psalm is wonderfully reshaped and reorientated. For sure, it doesn't make much sense now to pray for Jesus in quite the same way that the people prayed for David. Because wonderfully, all the things the people pray for David have already 
been perfectly answered in Jesus. And there have been answers as Jesus took on a much greater battle than David ever faced, the battle against sin and death itself. And in that battle, what we know, what we can see is that verse 1, the Lord did answer Jesus on the day of distress and did ultimately protect him. Not by taking him out of the battle, but taking him through it, through his death on the cross and on to victory by raising him from the dead. And so as the Apostle Paul puts it, the Lord dis- disarmed those forces in the world that would have, have us dead because of our sin. Disarmed those enemies in that battle. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And in all of this, the Lord did, verse 2, provide help and support from the heavenly places. And he did, verse 3, accept Jesus' perfect sacrifice made with perfect faithfulness and love. And in raising him to victorious life, he did, verse 4, give Jesus the desire of his heart. That is, he did make Jesus' plan to save people from sin and death succeed. And so when it comes to our king as an individual, these prayers are all wonderfully answered. And we can already join in with verse 5 and shout for joy at his victory. So it doesn't make much sense to pray for Jesus as an individual using the words of this psalm. But it does make plenty of sense to use this psalm today to pray for Jesus' people. For what the New Testament calls the body of Christ. Now why is that? Well, you see, even though Jesus already sits victorious, he is still fighting. He is still fighting for and with his people. Or to put it another way, no one can rightly say to us in our situation as Christians today what they used to say in the old war films. For you, my friend, the war is over. For us, let me tell you, the war is definitely not over. In the book of Revelation, at the end of the Bible, the forces of evil make war against Jesus and his people. But we're told he will overcome them. He will conquer them. Because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with him will be his called, his chosen and faithful followers. In his letters to these seven churches at the beginning of Revelation, Jesus implores each of them to be those who overcome, those who conquer in that battle. He wants them to see the battle clearly happening all around them and to stand firm, to be faithful. He wants them, in other words, to join him in his victory, to participate in it. And if that's what Jesus wants, then it makes sense to pray those things for one another. And uh, actually, amazingly, Psalm 20 is very carefully written so that we can do that. So when the, the people originally prayed this prayer, may the Lord answer you when you're in distress, they may, the you there re- referred first and foremost to King David, that may well be true. But today we can apply that you to anyone around us in their day of distress. It's all open and ambiguous. In other words, in the light of Jesus' victory, we can pray for anyone on the day of trouble using these words. I mentioned earlier, 
uh, those family friends of ours whose son has just died after a, a long struggle with cancer. And that means that I can pray that they might find protection, the protection of the God of Jacob in their struggle with grief and despair. I can pray that they might find it in Jesus and his sacrificial death, help and support through the time of trouble. I can pray that their desires might become aligned with Jesus' desires so they're drawn into his victorious plans and purposes. I can pray that one day, eventually, they will be able to sing for joy, lifting banners in the name of their God. And actually, even if, even if someone isn't obviously distressed or obviously in the day of trouble, we can still pray for them like this. We do try to put on a brave face all the time, don't we? Uh, when someone asks us, how are things? Our first instinct, isn't it? To say, fine. It's a lie. It's a blatant lie. But that's what we say. And actually, when you get their response, uh, well, the chances are, things are not fine. Things are not fine. The chances are, we're struggling. We're in danger of losing our way. Our lives are in turmoil. So, pray anyway. Pray for people using Psalm 20 anyway. Whatever they tell you. However things look. And so I hope we feel encouraged to do that more often. However, I feel that we would, we would pray like this more often if we saw the situation we're in with the same clarity as David. That's the key, isn't it? To see that there really is a battle going on, on around us, which uh, I think is probably, we're helped here in our final point. This psalm does indeed equip us to pray for victory and salvation today in the day of trouble, but David wants us to pray. This is verses six to eight. Trusting in the name of the Lord and nothing else. Let me read these verses to you from verse six. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall. But we rise up and stand firm. Now as we've already seen, we should even more than David know that the Lord does indeed save his anointed. The Lord's anointed, Jesus Christ, has, has been given salvation and victory in his resurrection through the power of God. And just as the Lord working through David was the only hope for God's people 3,000 years ago, so Jesus is the only hope for God's people today. But what these verses in particular show us is the danger of not seeing that clearly. Uh, but also, more positively, the confidence and security that comes from getting it right. Those who trust in chariots and horses will be brought to their knees and fall. Those who trust in the name of the Lord will rise up and stand firm. Those who trust in chariots and horses will be brought to their knees and fall. Now, I guess if you live back in David's day and were facing military attack, you might be excused for thinking one or two chariots or a few horses would help, help your odds in the battle. But actually, even in that situation, David says no. 
The fight against God's people is no ordinary battle. The enemies of God are fighting against the Lord and his name and honour. And in that battle, chariots and horses won't be enough. We, I think, should see that even more clearly. Remember, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not a kind of physical battle. But as the Apostle Paul puts it, uh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And in that situation, there are many things we might be foolish to trust in. uh, But none of them will be enough. Some trust in nothing much at all in that battle, not realizing they're in a battle, not realizing that they're actually in great danger. They will be brought to their knees and fall. Some trust in wishful thinking or a positive outlook. They will be brought to their knees and fall. Some really foolishly trust in material things in a battle which isn't material. They trust in money or insurance or their health or their their social status. They will be brought to their knees and fall. Some trust in their own strength and their own ability in their moral performance on a past profession or a vague association with Christian things. They will be brought to their knees and fall. You see, in any battle, you need to choose your weapons very carefully. And in this battle, there is only one that will do us any good. And he is Jesus, the Lord's anointed, the Christ, who is winning victory for us in the name of the Lord our God. And I wonder if you noticed as we were reading through, just how important God's name is in this psalm. That's one of the keys, isn't it? It's the name of the God of Jacob that protects in verse one. The people celebrate in the name of their God in verse five. They trust in the name of the Lord our God in verse seven. The name of the Lord represents his character, his honor, his glory. It's in God's nature to act to the honour of his name. He's re-establishing that honour in all the world, the honour he deserves. And he's doing it through the one he's anointed, the Lord Jesus. And he will be successful. That's the, the, one, one of the very, very few certainties, clear certainties in all of life and all of history. That's right at the centre of it. The Lord acting to defend his name and doing it through the Lord Jesus. And we can even get on board with that. Or we can face the consequences. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall. But we rise up and stand firm. So it is summertime, and it may not be that the living is easy, um, but it may be that routines have changed, some things have slowed down, some things feel different. It does make summertime a dangerous time for us, a time when we might take our eyes off the ball, 
time when we don't see the battle raging around us, the struggle we're engaged in. And that can indeed affect our prayers. I know it from my own experience. There may be days when we forget to pray at all. For many of us, it's holiday time, isn't it? It can be one of the hardest times to be disciplined in prayer. And we may well fail to pray like this with the urgency and intensity of Psalm 20. But for us, dear friends, the war is not over. The powers and principalities are not on holiday. There is no truce. Sin is just as dangerous and just as destructive, just as deceptive. The shadow of death looms just as darkly over us. And even if they can't see it or won't admit it, our Christian brothers and sisters are just as much in need of urgent, passionate prayer. And if we don't know what to pray, here are the words. Here are the words in Psalm 20. And in Psalm 20 also lies the confidence behind our prayers. Because we know that the Lord has given and will give victory to his anointed. He will answer us in Jesus' name from his holy heaven with the victorious power of his right hand. Well, let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we do beg for your, for your mercy and your help. And we pray for clarity to see the kind of situation, the kind of urgent and difficult situation that we find ourselves in. May we see behind appearances to that danger. And may that bring us to pray earnestly for one another. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we want to give you thanks that the victory is already secure in him and his death and resurrection. We just pray that we will be a part of it, that we will be there on that final victory day, that we would, as verse 5 said, says, be able to shout on that day when the Lord Jesus is finally victorious over all things and we will lift up our banners in the name of God. Help us to pray. Help us not to trust in other things that are of no use and no purpose in this battle, but that we might be those who say, we trust in the name of the Lord our God, and in him we will rise up and stand firm. Amen.